to this episode of The Right Angle with me, Nicola Woodford-Smith. My guest today is the award-winning maths teacher, Nicola Whiston. In this episode, we cover a range of topics to not only help support you and your students in these ongoing uncertain times, but we also discuss various strategies on how to engage learners from differing backgrounds, along with tips and advice on closing those performance gaps. So whatever it is you're doing whilst listening today, I hope you enjoy. Nicola is the Director of Maths at Ormiston Horizon Academy. She's won the Silver Pearson Teaching Award and was shortlisted for last year's Global Teacher Prize. In addition to her normal roles across her teaching career, Nicola has helped set up a youth social action project and also enlisted the support of Barclays to introduce and educate young people in everyday finances. As well as this, Nicola is mum to her two wonderful daughters, Lily and Annie. So first, Nicola, it's really great to have you as a guest on this episode. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join me today. Hi, no worries. Thank you. I'm excited to do it. Thanks for asking me. I'm sure we're going to have lots to talk about, especially with the um, reintegration of students back into the classrooms, um, trying to uh, close these performance gaps. But I'm looking out the window at the moment at about six inches of snow and holidays are definitely a distant memory for many of us and our listeners. So I was wondering when the restrictions are lifted, what your first holiday destination is going to be. Oh, do you know, I actually sent this this morning to my family um, WhatsApp group. I am desperate to take my daughters to Disneyland in Florida. So I looked at next year's term dates and kind of was like July 2022. We are going to Florida, everybody. Um, so that is my definite plan to take my daughters there to see uh, Disney and Mickey and Minnie and stuff like that. That sounds fantastic. You know, that's on my radar as well, I think you know why not let's do the big one yeah. um, and we we have um also looked at all of the rides and different hotels so it's definitely a family effort like you say kind of the research behind all of that so oh i hope i get to go as well definitely <laughs> my two would definitely love that as well okay so we're we're approaching the february half term as we record this and i imagine it must be really strange in these extraordinary times preparing for the term ahead, waiting for consultations and government guidance. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your experience over the recent lockdown and how you found the challenge or of any challenge of engaging your students on this online learning? Yeah, so our um, recent lockdown, I feel like we had a few dress rehearsals almost. So luckily I've been responsible for a learning from my academy as well um so i've been quite actively part of kind of designing what we would do in this scenario and like most other schools we had a few bubbles um go through the year so we've had a bit of practice about rolling out um teams lessons and continuing with a normal timetable so this um lockdown we decided as an academy to almost try and act like normal so we've been running our full timetable and all our teachers have just been teaching it remotely um, and actually the engagement from our community and from our students has been really, really incredible. I don't know if you know much about my academy or where we are, but I'm based in Stoke-on-Trent and 
we're in quite a deprived area. So my school has worked really, really hard on providing laptops and internet. And, um, you know, when all the schools, when we got into the, the Xbox can be used for teams and things like that. So we've worked really hard to gear up our kids to work remotely. Um, and as a result, our engagement has actually been really good. Um, and like I said, for the parents in our community, they've been so positive about it because we've helped as a school relieve a lot of pressure that parents are feeling as well, aren't they? Um, I mean, we know as parents how hard it would be to try and make sure your kids can learn maths at home when it's 20 years since we'll have done maths ourselves at school, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think the point you mentioned there about the parents and the students engagement and being really positive, I think just highlights the importance of the relationship that you have as a school within a community. Um, yeah. And they, they have to put their trust in you at times like this, um, that you're the experts and, and just to, to follow your lead, really. So it's really lovely to hear that you know, all of the strategies that, that you guys have put in place is actually paying dividend and the students and the parents are engaging. So that's, I think that's really impactful. Um, what's your opinion with, with the pandemic having such an impact over the past year? And of course, in school, that, that has crossed over two academic years. So what's the plan on reintegrating them back in? Um, do you foresee kind of an ongoing period of blended learning and online learning um, you know what do you think the immediate challenges are going to be when they are eventually coming back in yeah I think um, I think our biggest challenge in our academy is actually kind of reintegrating them and retraining our students so we have to put a real focus on getting back to routines here and learning to behave socially correctly around each other and putting back on a uniform and having equipment again that's probably been lost in a you know you're working at home in your busy bedroom with your brothers or sisters in your bedrooms as well um you know we've, we've got a lot of stuff to do at before we can even get back on top of our teaching in our academy um which we our pastoral team work really hard at doing so when we come back i think a big push will be um just re-establishing expectations for how you do behave around other people and obviously we're still going to have an element of social distance distancing i would imagine um which is hard because the, everyone will want to just see each other again won't they as well so it's it's finding that balance um but i think once we've done that then we can focus back on the teaching however we need to get our classrooms ready to be able to deliver teaching in again I think you're absolutely right. It's it's almost treating everyone, um, you know, as if it's their day one, year seven. And here are the rules. This is how school works. This is what it looks like, because it is going to look, you know, maybe different to what it was when they, they left. Um, yeah. Um, and it's still you know, not, you know, ideally what would happen is we'd be all coming back to how we were last September not the September just gone you know that's the ideal yeah. isn't it you'd come back you'd move around school each teacher would have their own base um, but we're not we're still coming back and ultimately teachers are still going to have to move classrooms year groups are still going to own the space aren't they like most yeah. secondary schools have been doing that haven't they year groups have been in specific locations um, yeah. so for staff as well you know we're not over the hard bit yet are we and we have to just make sure that we can get everything in place to get there again um, for that day we get our classrooms back and, <laughs> and normality again. I think you're right I think it's not going to be you know as much as everyone returns to 
a normal day to day routine, you know, physically going back to school. It's I think it's going to be, you know, a good transition period over the next maybe another academic year of getting used to the new procedures and and just a different way of life. Um, the new normal, as it is, that people keep talking about. Um, I was just going to ask you about year 11s, and I don't mean to eliminate year 13, um, but the reason I pick up on year, year 11 is they are about to, you know, kind of subsequently finish their GCSE studies and they have no, potentially no formal end of, of their series by, you know, traditional examination. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, I had year 11s right up until Christmas. Would it, would it be our, your responsibility, should I say, as a classroom teacher to, to prepare them for future assessments? Um, do you think that they would have lost kind of motivation for sitting formal exams? Or do you think this whole um, year just needs to be addressed and, you know, with the, the topics that are relevant to finishing their year 11 now? So what's, you know, within your remit now and worry about assessments in the future as they approach those steps. I guess what I'm I'm getting at is how how do we prepare the year 11s for their next phase of, of their education or, or kind of training? This year's year 11s, we're still teaching them and we're still teaching them kind of like as if we were preparing them for an exam. And I find it, and I'm sure other teachers do this, when they're delivering online, I find it so hard not to say, okay, when you get to your exam, you need to lay it out like this and the kids remind me they're like we're not doing an exam miss and I was like I know but we still have to act like we are because you still have to learn like you are because the processes are really important aren't they um so they often remind me that they're not doing the exam but it's just more of a technicality isn't it than a than a realism if that sentence even makes sense but um we're not as as my academy and as my department we're not doing anything different with our kids than we would have done right now anyway in preparing them so we're still filling them with all new content we're not missing anything out you know we've sent home um protractors and things so we can still teach angles and we're making sure they've got calculators so we can still teach trig for example so um we're not missing gaps on the scheme of learning just because of us teaching remotely at the moment we're just doing our best to still teach them everything they need to know and our higher kids you know the kids well not every school but we've got a couple but you've got kids who could have walked in in September and got a grade nine can't you you know some kids are just naturally gifted and yeah. those students we're still making sure that we push them and start to you know feed in little snippets of what will be there for a level and even the kids that want to do a level and always would have been a bit borderline you know when we teach things we're reminding them that they need to know this skill because this will carry on to a level it's not something you can avoid just because you're not doing an exam anymore you, you can't avoid it at all absolutely and i think that's that's really important to just continue as normal um and you know as if they were sitting in exam because it's the transferable skills that they'll pick up from certain topics that they need they need to know you know like you say how to how to set them out how to you know, present their solution. So I think it's, I think, you know, it's an abs absolutely important thing to just keep going as normal and cover all of the content. Um, because despite there being no formal exam, written exam, there is some form of assessment that teachers are going to have to make on students work. Yeah, uh, definitely. absolutely. So 
Do you think with the absence of two formal summer series exams here, yeah. that there is scope for reform? Do you think there is? I know, obviously, out in social media and forums and things, people are talking about there being a reform and, and do students have to be assessed in, in the traditional sense? What, what are your thoughts on that? So it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it, really? I am actually a fan of learning and doing an exam. Um, and it's quite controversial, isn't it, when you think you're talking about something that we've always done anyway, and it's only now we've not done them that it's coming into question. But, um, you know, there are... Do you know what it is that exams give you as well? They give you that feeling of success or failure that help form you as people, don't they? So some students, you know, maybe passed last year or got a grade four given to them and, and will do this year and it would have been you know almost on a good day they'd have got there and, and you know they could have but also there's other students that maybe took it for granted and you think oh you, you could have passed but would you have passed and in real life would you have felt what failure looks like you know we're, we're dealing with teenagers and they go up and down all the time don't they and and so there's that part of exams that I feel are um if we don't have them then the students miss miss out on that and also um i think because they're teenagers if they don't do it themselves they've always got somebody else to blame or human beings are a bit like that aren't they if, it, if yeah. they are center assessed and don't pass they can always blame somebody else rather than taking a reflective look at themselves and realizing that maybe they did waste year 10 or they wasted year nine or they didn't respond positively to that member of staff and things like that so I would be reluctant it, I wouldn't I would I don't know how I'd feel about a life without exams really okay so let's let's talk about um, your experiences and your successes as you mentioned earlier you you teach within um, a relatively deprived area um, and I guess you always have done um, firstly I just wanted to ask what you find the biggest challenge is as a teacher of maths in these particular areas I mean I've had experience similar to you um, and I just wondered what you know you, you're saying that they engage well online and parents are very receptive but not all communities are like that so what would you say is one of the successes of engaging a, an area like that? So um, I think all three of the Ormston academies I've worked at have been quite similar and and I think the thing with maths is um, typically in schools as well that maybe have been struggling previously you have quite a high turnover of staff don't you so as soon as that happens kids kind of lose their love for it because they've lost their relationship with their teachers that yes. drive that bond don't they yeah. um so obviously uh, you know as a just kind of curriculum leader or head of department trying to form a, a strong department that's able to sustain itself and be reliable for the kids that's one of the best feelings when you get that from a department and at Chadwick yeah. I remember when that really turned that when that academy turned and when the maths department had amazing results it was it was off the back of a bit of consistency with staff yeah. and and it's because in in schools like this um it's all about relate it's massively about relationships isn't it and making the kids want to do well for you and then they by default they want to do well in that subject I've found Yes, yeah, I think you're right. What about, um, you know, I've taught many students that don't have the support at home. Um, they might be the first person to want to go and do A-level or, you know, eventually go into higher education. They they have a lack of 
uh, a role model at home or you know the push they have to be self-motivated um you know we've all we've all taught the students that tell us that algebra has got nothing to do with real life and they'll never need <laughs> in the real world what's the point of this and the parents then kind of support that and say well absolutely what's the point in this how do you you know come across and, and overcome those barriers uh, with students that don't have anyone to to push them at home and and role models to look up to so I have um it's maybe not the most professional response to this but because you never know when they're going to throw it at me I always kind of say you know what exams is everyone going to ask you for and they always say this in maths and English and I was like so you need to know how to do this quadratic to pass your maths exam which is therefore needed for the rest of your life and then we talk about the rest of their mm -hmm. life how um I always say um and I've said it a little bit less now I have kind of a whole school perspective on on teaching and, and responsibility but when I was just a maths teacher and just a head of department you I could not sell it enough that maths was the single most important subject in the school and nothing else was as important as <laughs> learning to teach maths to the point I know I, dro I drove other departments crazy because the, the kids almost believed it it was like brainwashing them that this was the subject and if you do well in this everyone else thinks you're amazing so um I just sold maths as the thing that if you went for a job interview and could do maths or you had a good maths grade that everyone realized how you could work hard and struggle through things and it wasn't just about memorizing facts that was never going to get you you know and talk about it in that sense with them yeah absolutely it, it, i mean it is isn't it it's it's teaching them problem solving and, and abstract thinking and yeah, definitely. I think it's the best subject, isn't it? And it is the most important subject in the whole school. But <laughs> Absolutely. And all of our listeners are going to agree because hopefully they're all of the maths community. <laughs> you know, it does drive them nuts. But if a, if a maths department can really drill that message through, I think that this is the subject that you really want to do well in. Um, I think that has a massive impact on the students and the way they think. I mean, obviously, in, for a school to work successfully, other departments need to be pushing that same drive, don't they? But um, if I put my, just my maths head back on, <laughs> then that's totally what I would do. And what yeah, I do. absolutely. And I think when you have students, you know, as I was ex um, explaining earlier, who don't have that push and the drive and the role models at home, they then turn to you. Um, and your passion and your excitement for your subject and I think that's what engages them and, and as you said earlier in one of the other questions it's them wanting to do well for you um, and in turn they end up doing well for themselves. So teaching in areas as, as you, you have done and I have done there are many maths teachers and maths leaders listening to this who are all aware of the decades of work that have been put in to close performance gaps, whether that be gender gaps, ethnicity, uh, socioeconomic. Um, and I definitely feel on the front line, you know, me and my schools and my departments, we, we made huge gains. I just wonder with the impact of the pandemic and, and remote learning that has this had an unravelling effect on these gaps and do you feel that we're gonna be back at square one so when we're in school like you said we do loads of targeted intervention when we've been at home so i've been tracking the data um along with our assistant principal for uh, achievement and we've so we've had five weeks off for example now haven't we we're in our sixth yeah. and on average our 
so our disadvantaged students, for example, or our pupil premium, they're doing five lessons a week less than our non non disadvantaged. Um, so we're uh, basically now kind of like a week behind already. So in this one term, they're a week behind. Right. Um, so I can, you know, and I know it might not feel like much by a week, but alongside with that, if you think about all the other social factors that are going on at their home, that they're not sat at a kitchen table, they're sat in their living room with their phone on their lap with three brothers or sisters around them as well. So you, you can feel, or already I can feel the gap between some groups starting to stretch. And right. that is really tricky um, to deal with, isn't it? And as a teacher on the other side of the screen, there's only so much we can do at the moment for that, isn't there? And you just kind of hope that it's not your five lessons that week that they miss, that not that you want them to miss anything else but you know yeah. it's just it's, it's that sort of gap so yeah I can definitely feel the gaps forming and some of the hard work we've done kind of starting to spread again you know and the gaps starting to, to expand but I think as teachers we, we do this every year don't we and we have to focus on the next group we get in and just try and close it with all the interventions and everything we can throw at it when we can throw it at it don't we yeah, I think I think that's a really good point that there are going to be gaps, but there are always gaps. And the job as a teacher is to identify what they are and how best to fix them. Our approach for my department is we're going to carry on because if we don't carry on, we what we could be doing is stretching the gap. So we won't feel it as an academy. So maybe we might bring our students back together. But what we would do is we might be separating our academy then from a leafy Cheshire school where they've had 90% engagement because they all have tablets. At, do, do you get what I mean? So yeah. we, we might feel like, yes, we're doing a good job in our academy and we've caught everybody up, which is so hard to do anyway isn't it you know that would take a, a massive focus and then what we're doing is limiting some kids anyway who didn't need to revisit it and it's not adding anything because they understood it perfectly well online so I think what we'll do is we're going to carry on delivering our content and we'll use our intervention um, and, and we had a really amazing tutor as part of the national tutor program this year as well which hopefully we can keep next year um, yeah. and hopefully we'll use her to fill some of the gaps for the students where we know it exists rather than trying to hold the whole year group or you know the whole cohort back not back but um you know work around that so we've just got to kind of hope that if we soldier on as we are yeah uh, it'll have a positive impact I think you're right it's about that momentum isn't it that you seem to have built up uh, and you want to kind of keep going rather than reverse momentum. Yeah, and when they come back, we want them to still enjoy learning, not feel like, oh, I've done this before. You know, you still, when you get them back in real life, you want them to enjoy the learning still rather than fixing something and, and disturbing that. Yeah, I think that's really important and also makes them feel that the work they have done away from the classroom has actually had it's got some worth to it and they haven't got to go back and, and redo that. I think that's yeah. right. And in the few, if, we, if it ever happened again, you know, if we ever had to be off, they wouldn't think, oh, actually, I don't need to do that because as soon yeah. as I come to school, they'll revisit it anyway, so it's okay. Yeah, really good point. Um, I'm conscious that we're kind of nearing the uh, end of our episode, but I just want to pick up on a couple of points before we, we go. Um, I wanted to talk to you about your engagement with outside companies. You know, I mentioned um, the uh, enlistment of Barclays Bank, and, and I know... Many of our listeners may um, know your background 
um, about incorporating students to go and, and visit universities. Um, and I've worked in schools before where this kind of stuff is really important, but it tends to happen around year 10, 11, sixth yeah. form. So I just wanted to know kind of what your um, thoughts were about introducing that kind of lower down down the school. So um, I, think it, I think it's the schools where I'm at, if you, you know, why give a child an aspiration of university in year 10 when almost they might have wasted, you know, they might have not had that, so they might not have pushed themselves in year seven, eight or nine. And we took the whole year seven cohort to Edge Hill and they did an amazing day with them. They put them in a lecture theatre, you know, and the kids loved it. Imagine being 11 years old and going to a massive university you know lecture theatre and it's a campus university isn't it and I don't know if you've ever been to Edge Hill but it feels like you're at Disneyland it's absolutely <laughs> beautiful it's beautiful it's so it's all been redone recently and, and it looks amazing and, and then you think well if I'm a, a boy 11 year old boy off a council estate and I don't really like school but what I do like doing is playing basketball well as soon as you get to a university campus and you go and see the sports areas you think wow now this is where I'd like to be playing basketball not <laughs> in the broken net out on my on the yard in the in the school playground so um I think from a young age everyone would find their aspirations from that and it gives you know and, and what we would have liked to do and obviously the, the pandemic's got in the way really is try different universities so that's a kind of on-site one isn't it but there are some that are based in cities and then they don't feel quite like that and would that be where you'd like to go because I remember being a, a, a child in school and it, to me university was just something I felt like I was always going to do um, but that's not how the, these students feel you know university is somewhere that is miles away when they haven't really been out of their own postcode without and you know more than once or twice and um so it's about facing those barriers with them isn't it and Barclays again you know um where I live Barclays is quite a big um employer and a lot of people leave school and, and have had amazing careers and through apprenticeships at Barclays so it's important to also push that it's not all about going to university and apprenticeships can lead you down to amazing careers with ma massive financial benefits, don't they? Um, and that one's really good because the guys at Barclays, they came into school and delivered really engaging workshops and um, did all the, you know, teach you about money matters and things like that, that then the kids actually are interested in as well that they want to do, don't they? They love talking about money. So finally, we cannot have a podcast with Nicola Whiston and not talk about the glamorous award side of your career so far. Um, so I just wanted to pick up um, on your achievements, obviously with the Silver um, Teaching Award, Pearson Teaching Prize, that must have been incredible. Um, and certainly a, a memory for you and your family to treasure. Um, you know, most of us would be over the moon with an accolade such as that. And yeah. obviously I would like to hear your thoughts on that as well. But on top of that, how did you feel when you found out about the Global Teaching Prize nomination? And also, did you get to attend a virtual event? I know they usually have a glamorous event at the end of the year, but I just wanted to know um, what happened in, with COVID getting in the way of all of that. Yeah, so... Um... Yeah, it's incredible. So how I kind of feel, so I'm lucky to have worked in 
this trust and the, and um i've had this kind of mentor through my career in in these places a woman called tuesday humby and she actually is the person that's nominated me for these things she's our uh, national director now for the trust but was my head teacher was an assistant principal when i was an nqt so she's known me a long time um and the, it, it came from it, the TES Awards, really. So I got the Maths Teacher Award there, and I feel like everything just rippled from that, really, um, which it's just, it's, it's nuts. The Pearson Award was incredible because, although it's amazing to achieve that, one of my favourite moments was when they told me about it. My, they, they kind of, my school found out, and they do it as a surprise when you find out you're a silver winner. And what they did is my mum and my dad and my two children were in my classroom. So my head teacher snuck me out of my classroom, pretended he needed a meeting. And I was like, I'm teaching you 10, Andy, what are you doing? And then I come back in the classroom and there's a big surprise and my kids are there and, and I just started crying. And so Aww. it's lovely that this was shared with the kids in school and my own children as well. So that's something that I think has felt amazing that it, like the kids in this community were all part of it so it wasn't just me that you know this was the kind of re a reflection of the school um the global teacher one blows my mind that I was even <laughs> I, I don't even know how I managed to be part of that amazing cohort of teachers from all around the world um because when I look at the things they've done it's incredible and, and the whole way through it, I think I keep thinking I am just and a normal maths teacher, the same as everybody else listening to this. I come into school, I love my job, I love the kids. Um, I just think I've been really lucky. I've worked with amazing maths departments, so at Chadwick and here at Horizon, um, you know, results that go alongside someone which have led to some of the other awards are never one person's, are they? So it's kind of like the department so as cheesy as it sounds nothing that I have ever achieved has, has been solely me it's always other people and and really it's really important that that's known isn't it um the awards ceremony I didn't get to achieve I didn't actually get to join in and and this is it was virtual and, and it's awful of me to say but I was teaching it was 11 o'clock on a kind of a Monday and I and I think we just turned remote or something or I can't remember I just lost year. I think it was like the day we'd lost a year 11 bubble and because I was responsible for making sure we were all teaching remotely I couldn't then say I'm not going to teach I'm just going to sit and watch. <laughs> so it sounds really really awful and ungrateful and it's not and I'm not ungrateful for any of those opportunities it's just when it comes down to it if you've got a class of kids that you're expected to teach you kind of have to teach them don't you still absolutely it's probably one of the characteristics and traits that you have that put you in that place in the in the first place you know just <laughs> Life carries on and you you know, you have a duty to those students and, and the, the glamour of a of a global teaching prize from <laughs> <place>. <laughs> so no, I, think... I, mean, I love it. I, I, but I just feel so lucky. It's amazing. And you never you never think this sort of thing would ever happen to you. I'm just literally like a normal everyday get get your muck in, get in with everybody teacher. But, um, yeah, absolutely. To it at all.
Well, there seems to be quite a few people out there, Nicola, that would disagree that you're not just an average average maths teacher. And I'm sure the first people to say that would be your students. So um, I think that brings us to a really lovely, positive end to our chat today. And I'm sure that the listeners will be able to relate to so many of the things that you've talked about, you know, that we've raised. And hopefully with some of the strategies that you've talked about in your school, uh, they might be able to implement them into their classroom and their school as well so I just wanted to say thank you again for being a guest today Um, Um, and also if the listeners do want to kind of follow your story or to you know follow you on Twitter I just wanted to let them know what your your Twitter handle was. Oh yeah so it's at uh, Wisto underscore maths yeah Wisto underscore maths yeah brilliant and I think I'll share that when the podcast um is uploaded and goes live I think we'll we'll see if we can put a link to your to your Twitter account as well so I'm sure there'll be many people um that will want to carry on following your journey I'm sure there are well they might see me I was dressed as a unicorn this morning so that might make it on there as well but we'll see (laughs) always be looking out that image (laughs) so I just want to end there Nicola by saying thank you so much and I wish you and everyone's students and and of course all of our listeners a a nice smooth road in the months that lie ahead thank you so it's goodbye from me um, and and until the next episode uh, we'll say goodbye